What's up, Fight Fan? You are listening to MMA Daily, the podcast where we bring you the latest in the world of mixed martial arts. It is Monday, August 9th, 2021, and this week's episode, Fall 2021, begins to take shape. We'll take it back to Houston and recap the interim heavyweight title fight between Derek Lewis and Cyril Gaon, as well as what's next for the night's big winners. We'll talk about the latest in MMA news. Fight announcements, there were a lot of them. A lot of also very high-profile, high-stakes fights in their respective divisions. So a lot to unpack there. We'll talk about Nico Montano, the inaugural UFC Women's Flyweight Champion, being released from the UFC. And we will cap it off discussing this coming weekend's fights. Bellator 264 and the return of middleweight champion Gegard Mousasi against John Salter. And the beginning of the PFL playoffs. Starting with the welterweight headliner, Ray Cooper III, reigning champion against UFC and Bellator veteran Rory McDonald. My name is Gabriel Gonzalez, and we have a packed show, and I'm joined by, always, Natalie Zamudio. Hello, Double G. Packed show indeed, yeah. This is a, a lot of, this is, uh, dare I say, a meaty, a meaty episode. <laughs> like a nice Houston steak, just yeah. rich and juicy. Just carbo-loaded episode. I agree yeah, with you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, let's get a rolling. I mean, obviously, the big news coming off Saturday is Cyril Gaon's performance against Derek Lewis. And I want to unpack a lot. First off, I think he deserves... He is not getting the credit he deserves because not enough people are hip enough to realize just how much he trolled the city of Houston. But Cyril Gaon went out there to a Houston song, and beat up Houston's guy with a smile. That is just gangster, if I may say so. For, you know, a guy who was kind of going in as the soft-spoken one inside the cage, I think that uh, there's very little to criticize about his performance. He got out of the way. He did a good job. I felt he he made sure that he was always in the perfect position to counter, and not be there when Derek loaded up and got going. I felt like he just did a perfect job anticipating all the times Derek was going to rush in and kind of try to barrel forward. And I think the most impressive thing outside of how consistently effective he was, was the times that Derek did get his arms around him and you feel like, okay, he's about to feel the size and the power, right? Everyone talked about it. The power, Lewis, the power, the power. And just good technique, I think underrated strength and athleticism himself, just shrugged off Derek each time. And then by the end of it, I believe it was in the fourth round we got the finish. I I want to give him points for that too. He fought a smart fight, but when he smelled blood, he let him go. And he was not afraid to throw hands right there in the face of the beast. I think some people thought he's just going to pick him apart and not take risks. Cyril gone smelled blood, and he went for the kill shot. I think, could it have been a more exciting fight? I'm aware how few shots Lewis landed. I think you got to give credit where it's due. He fought a smart fight against a dangerous guy, and he may not say it because he's too nice, but I think that was even easier than he thought it was going to be. What were your thoughts? Yeah, that's a good point. He he probably It probably was easier. I think Cyril gone pretty much control the entire fight. He owned Derek Lewis. He, he kind of embarrassed him a little bit. But it wasn't just because he was so he's so good and he has a great fight style and he saw, you know, he had an answer for everything that Derek Lewis attempted, which wasn't much. But, you know, if I'm looking back at this and, and as it happened when I saw the weigh-ins, when Derek Lewis got in Cyril's face, I even told my husband, I was like, ooh, that's a weird sign. That's weird to me. Like, that doesn't seem like Derek Lewis at all. He's he's nervous. It didn't make me feel good about his chances, even though I did pick him to fight. But when I saw that, I was like, oh, no, this isn't good. As he was walking out to the to the cage, I could see it in his eyes. Uh, just he didn't seem confident. He seemed nervous, like he was trying to fake it to, till he could make it, and he never quite made it waiting in the cage for the fight to start. I mean, I could just feel it. He was, he was uneasy. The pressure had gotten to him. To me, it was obvious just by the look in his eyes. And then the fight played out the way it did. 
you know, he had some moments there where he, you know, tried, but he could never even come through with his coach's requests in the corner to close the distance. You know, as soon as the, the buzzer rang for them to come back out, Derek Lewis would retreat. Just He just kept doing the same thing over and over again, eating those leg kicks, not checking them. And then in that round, I, I guess it was the fourth. I thought it was the third, but okay, it was fourth. When Cyril kicked him, one good hard one, and Derek Lewis tried to throw a punch, and, and he like kind of winced because his leg hurt. That was when, when Cyril knew, okay, going for the kill, and he sure did. Beautiful attack, beautiful onslaught. And, uh, you know, the ref gave Derek Lewis a chance to, to, <laughs> to redeem himself in those moments. I did. Am I remember this right? Didn't he like stop break up the fight for him to get his mouthpiece back? I don't know if that happened at the end or not. But you know, if people criticize that. That was so brief. I didn't even really. I put it this way: Derek Lewis didn't really get a break in the action. I'll say that. Yeah, it was a, it was a small break, um, and uh, but but it was odd because it it seemed kind of like you wouldn't normally stop the fight right in the middle of of where it was stopped. But okay, fine. Um, yeah, so, so at some point, Derek Lewis is hurt. He kind of balls up, but he gets another chance from the ref. He balls up again. It, it just seemed like he wanted to get out of there. Like he wanted to just go home and get it over with. So like, I think he, he realized this isn't going my way. I don't want to be here anymore. That's really what it looked like to me. And Cyril gone capitalized on that. And now he's the interim champion. Like, Honestly, never would have seen this coming a few fights ago. Not for a second. And this is Derek Lewis's second shot at the title. So how long will it be before he gets another one? You know, in the heavyweight division, it's different. You don't have to wait that long. And it's not one of these, like, devastating things where you're just completely out of contention or you're going to have to go way back down at the bottom of the line. That's not the case here. He's still a big name. He's still a threat. I think he really just succumbed to the pressure of being in Houston fighting for the belt. And that's it. You know, uh, I don't know. I felt... I think that he ran into a highly prepared Cyril Ghosn. I can't tell you that Derek necessarily looked out of sorts. I think that, um, if anything, I felt like he did take all these opportunities to try to wing those punches. And he knew he wasn't going to get them at mid-range. I think everyone knew that. And... I don't know. I, I'm going to say the benefit of the doubt. I, I, I think that Derek, I'm not saying that, you know, he couldn't have fought better. I think that um, certainly anyone in his position, when you look at the stats, you know, could he have maybe taken a couple more risks and get going a little bit? Yeah, but I don't think that it was going to change the outcome. I think that Cyril was just having, he wasn't going to be denied Saturday night, just plain and simple. Um, in terms of Derek, uh, like you said, it's not devastating. Um, when you talk about heavyweights, I mean, there was a time Andre Arlovsky was t talking about getting back in title contention, and you have these guys that get chances. I mean, you're two or three good knockouts away. What I will say is that it now becomes a lot more challenging because you have the Volkovs and the Curtis Blades, and now the Cyril Gons of the world, and remember, Stipe is now in the mix too, and Stipe is certainly no joke. It is a tough road, I think, for a guy of Derek's style. Now look, he's gotten there already. Like, you know, he, he was on the cusp. No one would have argued it if he got the rematch with Nganu straight up. In fact, that was the plan. But now that you talk about possibly him having to beat two or three of those guys for another title shot, that's a tough uh, that's a tough road for anybody. So I do want to acknowledge that. But look, I mean, he got there already. I don't think you can necessarily say he's done just after Saturday. But I will acknowledge it's a tough time to get a heavyweight title shot right now. Which, of course, sets up our conversation, Natalie. Cyril Gunn sets up a fight. Former teammate of Francis Ngannou. He stayed with the coach, Nganu left and eventually made it to Eric Nixick over at Extreme Couture, where he's at now. And you have easily one of the most compelling heavyweight style matchups that I think we've had in a long time. When you talk about, obviously, Nganu's improvements, 
his power, his stature, and then you compare him to this really younger, less mileage, uh, let's be honest, he's had just a phenomenal, you know, if he were a 21-year-old guy, we'd be saying he's the new phenom, baby-faced assassin in Cyril Gaon. Ten fights to get to an undisputed title shot, and he's looked the way he has for a heavyweight, multifaceted, he's fast, he's explosive. Um, I think that this is just a very compelling fight, and people were on the fence, but I'll say it easily, I'd put it top three of the upcoming fights we could have on the entire MMA calendar. I just find it that compelling. What about you? Yeah, because of the history, it it definitely is. And the the styles. You know, it's going to be personal, whether they admit it or not. So that's one. And Nganu, with all his improvements, um, you know, we saw what he could do to Stipe. But Cyril knows Nganu, right, in a way that Stipe didn't, that you couldn't learn from watching fight footage. And Cyril has this really light-footed, agile style. He, he has the physique and the stamina to stay elusive. And that's the key for fighting someone, anyone in the heavyweight division, really, is if you can stay elusive, keep that energy through three rounds, through five rounds, which would be this case, um, and still have the ability to hurt someone with your attack, uh, that's that's a that's a strong challenge for Francis Ngannou. So it is a very thrilling idea to to see these two guys coming together. And again, never would have picked it to be happening, at least not anytime soon. So you know, this is one of those Cinderella stories for uh, for Cyril Gaon. Derek Lewis was the man with the plan. All he had to do was 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 add another knockout to his belt. It didn't happen, and now we have you know former teammates getting ready to 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 fight for the belt. When is that going to happen, though? Because Ngannou wanted to fight in September, right? That was what he was asking for, and that's why we had this whole interim debacle. So now what? So uh, I'm not going to add any more. I think we broke it down. And once again, Cyril Gaon's swag. I mean, uh, someone also tweeted. I couldn't. I didn't check it, and I'm not really smart enough to confirm. I think he wore, like, another Houston person T-shirt during the week, too. And Jeez. just, like, he came to run the town kind of deal, you know? Um, so I will say that I find the matchup very compelling outside the cage, too. Um, to talk about that, John Jones. I, I think you've probably seen and read or maybe heard the same things I have. Dana White says he offered Stipe John. He did conveniently not say if he offered John Stipe, but, <laughs> you know, I don't think that's, I don't think that's, uh, you know, like, oh, he just forgot to mention. No, he didn't, you know, let's, let's call it what it is now. But I, I think it's safe to say that the John Jones window to get an immediate, immediate title shot has passed. And... You know, everything we've heard from Dana, John Jones isn't fighting this year. Like, I'm not going to talk to him this year. I will acknowledge that Jones versus Nganu, as much as we just, you know, discussed Gone versus Nganu, Jones versus Nganu is easily the biggest fight that can be made in MMA. Just period. Bigger than yeah, all of, bigger than Oliveira, um, Poirier, bigger than uh, Whitaker Adesanya too. It's, it just is. It, like, you know, short of Habib coming back, I don't see a fight that could be bigger. So I acknowledge that if all parties did say we're getting this done, it would still jump the, jump the line. Every indication we've been given, I feel like, is saying that not only is John Jones still not budging, but UFC is also now saying, look, we don't need the fight. We, we're going to keep this train rolling without you on schedule. And I think that with an interim champion, and I don't like it because I did feel like, hey, you know, we could have just as easily had a big fight in October or September for Nganu. Now you're in a position where even if Nganu were to say, no, I want to, I'm holding out, I want something to happen with Jones, they now have all the pieces that it's like, look, you know, we're not, we haven't been able to come to terms with Jones. We could keep the train rolling. If you want to wait for him, that's going to have to happen outside the title. 
I don't think, you know, that's unfortunate, but I feel like that's now the position everybody is in. I will stand once again. I think that if John Jones were to get paid, he could be in the cage this year. I do think that Nganu, uh, he said he was ready for Derek Lewis. I can understand he would not abandon hope of a John Jones fight until that ship had a really sailed, like he officially saw it on the horizon in the water. I do think that now you have a big fight and Ganu's going to take it and John Jones is just the odd man out. What are your thoughts on the sitch? I think John Jones is the odd man out. That's that's precisely how I feel. Um, it's just been so long and just, you know, needling the internet with comments here and there over time since he relinquished, vacated his light heavyweight belt. I'm just not interested right now, like and news about John Jones, unless it's an official booking, because it's, it's, it's not even boy who cried wolf because the UFC kind of feels the same way. They're just like, whatever, you can spin your wheels at home. We're not like dying to make a deal with you because we're mostly on principle. Like they just, they don't like the way he's handling it and they're not trying to bend the knee to John Jones. Right. And so they're happy to let him just twiddle his thumbs while they continue to build other heavyweights, and they're doing it. John Jones will fight if and when he wants to fight, and if and if and when he wants to fight means it happens because he gets the money he wants. I don't know when that's gonna be, dude. I really don't. Like, I do not see the UFC giving him what he wants at all. I think John Jones is gonna have to compromise. I've heard a lot of, uh, like, Submission Radio's interviewed a few people and they've posted clips. Uh, the Randy Couture one stood out to me, like, you know, when you try to draw the line in the sand with the UFC, Randy brought it up. It's like, he's going to figure out the same thing I did. Eventually, you're going to get older. And, you know, mm-hmm. I, I think that that's the precarious spot we're at right now is that um, even though John Jones has had all these breaks and these periods, he's still put on a lot of mileage. And is he still talented? Do I think that John Jones off the couch still beats a lot of people? Yeah. But we're talking, you know, uh, the longer it goes, the more skeptical you feel because this is just for one fight. One fight. He Imagine he, he beats Ngannou. How big of a deal he would be. You're really telling me the next fight is going to be easier to negotiate? I, I, you yeah. know, I, I wouldn't. You know, I... I've, the furthest away, from, you know, as anybody else could be from fighting in a cage. And even I know if I won that fight, I wouldn't even bother um, talking about someone else. I'd be like, oh, we're going to renegotiate. Like, I just laid it down like no one else has before. You, you know, you thought I asked for more now. Imagine how big of a deal he would be. I don't know. I, I just don't see it. And that's very frustrating because, like I said, he's now the biggest fight to be made in MMA, him against the heavyweight champion, preferably Nganu. Um, and I do feel like we are further away than ever. And I'm sure that there will be some entertainment of it the second Gone and Ganu are done. But until then, I, I really, like you said, I'm also past the point of seeing anything happen there. So, But yeah, food for thought. Like I said, anything can happen. I do think something, if they do come to terms, Mr. Gone will be stepping aside very quickly. It's just, that just seems a long way off from what we're hearing from everybody. So, um, There was some good, uh, you know what, this was a sneaky good undercard. Like, people got after it. Uh, Rafael Fazeev and Bobby Green, they just had a banger on the undercard. But I think the two performances that stood out were obviously the Brazilians, Jose Aldo and Vicente Luque. Let's talk about Aldo. I'm going to just say it right now. When he let those hands go, I'm like, there is no way like this guy is 15 years into his career looking that oh fast. He uh-huh. was unreal. What were your thoughts watching him? Same thing. I was. It was unreal to me. I couldn't believe what I was seeing, especially in that third round. Like that's where it really was like, what third round? And you got all you have more pop than you did at, at you know in round two and the end of round one. Like it seemed like he was clearly saving something. He's like, if I can make it to round three, which he knew he would, I'm gonna show you what I got. Pop, 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 like so fast. And the 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 combinations are beautiful, precise, right? 
the body work, the the head work, the triple jabs, like just unbelievable. And then the kicks, like the guy was putting it all together in a way that that blew my mind at 135 at his age with his background, all the long fights he's been in. I mean, I was like, is he on limitless pills? Like there's something crazy. <laughs> it's it's unbelievable and good for him. You know, he's clearly been putting in a lot of, lot of work. I do feel like almost bad for him having that it's happening at 135 because, you know, he looks just so, um, well, he's, he's super cut, but in his face, it's a little gaunt, you know, there's very little fat. And I just think like, what is his life like outside of a fight? Just trying to, to stay as close to, to 135 as possible, you know, within the range of having to cut weight, it must be a challenge. It must take a lot of discipline. So he's, you know, at this point in his career, Jose Aldo is really on it, like basically nonstop year round to stay at 135 is, well, that's the sense I get. I, I can't say for certain, but just super impressive. Like he just owned uh, Pedro Munoz from beginning to end, especially in the end. You know, I was so against that title shot that he got after his, you know, debut loss at 135. But he's looking pretty good, man. I mean, not pretty good. He's looking really good. The last thing I'll say is it made me think about, not to compare the performances, because Jose Aldo and Misha Tate, you know, there's, there's, they're different levels. But it made me think, like, okay, when Misha Tate was looking so well against Marion Renault, it's like, okay, but if you made that opponent Amanda Nunes, all these improvements still wouldn't be enough. So are all of Jose Aldo's improvements... Uh, impressive performance in this fight. Is that enough for Piotr Jan one day soon? I don't know, but damn, he looked good. I'm going to steal that limitless pills line. That is <laughs> a fantastic way to compare it. I don't really have a much better one. Um, I, I think what we saw is against the middle of the pack, Jose Aldo could still give you the business. And I mm -hmm. mean, I, I say that respectfully. I know Bantamweight is stacked, but you know, when you talk about how good those top three, four guys are, like, yeah, you're right. Um, he's not going to make it look that easy. I take the Max Holloway, Calvin Cater example. You know, Volkanovski brought it up. It's like, yeah, that was good, but you know you can't do that good against me. But once again, we saw, hey, don't get it twisted. Jose Aldo's still that dude, and he could still put it together on any given night. What I will say... um. Yeah, technically brilliant. I just think his timing, technique, distance, he just had Pedro's number. He had all the weapons he needed, and he put them to work. When I look at the Bantamweight division, that this now becomes a challenge, and this is why going in, I think people were worried, because it's like, is Aldo approaching Yol Romero territory that is like, well, he's so good, but is he now getting in the way of a young contender you know, the people on the way up possibly fighting for a title. What I will say about his performance, do I believe that guy could still beat these top three? Anyone, if either of them held the title, Pewter, Aljo, Corey, TJ? Yeah, the way he was throwing those hands, I, I don't doubt it. What I will say now is he's in this awkward position. Bantamweight is so stacked, I don't see him being able to get a title shot without two at least two more performances and when you look at the division let's be honest it's hard for anybody because you're talking about you're probably going to have to fight a Corey Santenhagen you're probably going to have to look at a TJ Dillashaw probably the loser of Pewter and Aljo you're going to have to beat some combination of those guys to get to that title shot because goodness knows it's a revolving door at the top with Aljo, Pewter, Corey, TJ right now and Certainly, whoever gets it first, you know, TJ fights. If Corey beats anybody, he easily steps right up there over Aldo right now, respectfully. So, the way to that title shot is still so dangerous. Can he still do it? I mean, after Saturday, heck yeah. But it's not easy. But I w So, I leave it to acknowledge he's got Miles in the tank. Looking at the division... I feel like Dominic Cruz would be fun. I, I feel like Corey Sanhagen, I really thought about this, and I thought, no, I probably would match him up with Rob Font, if I'm being honest. And I do think TJ is going to sit out and wait for the winner, Peter and Aljo. So 
Yeah, Dominic Cruz, maybe Rob Font, but I feel like Corey Sanhagen is not someone they're going to match Aldo up with. And I think that if he were to take a step back and take on, like, Sean O'Malley or something, that would just be, yeah, we're not there yet, so. Yeah, but, I really like the idea of um, Dominic Cruz. That's a good fight for Jose Aldo. Not so much for Dominic Cruz. It's a better matchup for Aldo. I agree. Against stuff. Like, let's, you know, I'm not trying to give a gimme to Aldo. He wouldn't want one. He doesn't need one. But I almost feel like this was such a great win. Give him another opportunity to have a great win. Let's keep building the confidence. And so I think a Dominic Cruz would be great. I also think um, they want to put Corey back in a title situation. They like him up in that top three, you know? Yeah. And I feel like they don't want to burn one or the other at this point. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Yeah, but um, yeah, Dominic or Rob. But I think, like I said, I, I feel like San Hagen's going to get Rob Font. But yeah. Um, Vicente Luque, I'm going to just say right Ooh. now, that dude was killer. I mean, just um, did his thing on the feet. I, I was impressed with Chiesa. I think he used his height and range really well to get it going. And then obviously when he got the takedown, it felt like he was doing, he was having a Michael Chiesa fight. But then it was like shades of, um, you know, Kevin Lee, Anthony Pettis, Vicente Luque reverses it. And, you know, he had that moment where it was like he stepped over and it looked like he was going to be able to stay in good position to break out of the, out of the darts. It felt like his body, he could just kind of stay on top of Vicente and break the hold. And then Vicente adjusted it, and I'm like, wow. Gets the sub, gets the finish over Kies on the mat. Um, I, I know I'm going to mess it up, and I didn't write him down, but he's finished, like, all but two of his victories. He's only lost once in a while, I think, and that was to Wonderboy Thompson. I mean, Vicente Luque, welcome to the big show. You are officially a top four guy at welterweight. What were your thoughts? That was super impressive, man. I mean, you know, Kiesa was a little bit overconfident, I think, in his his game plan of just circling, shuffling around, getting, you know, Vicente Luque to, to move in forward, to move in on him so he could go for the takedown. And once he got him down, you know, he was close, right? I can't deny that. He had the, he shook his back and he was, he, he, he had the arm in there. But I think he was just a little bit too overconfident. He took Vicente Luque for granted. And Luque capitalized on that. I mean, when you, I can't remember which commentator said, maybe Dominic Cruz that, about wrestlers and how they, they, they push in with their heads. And that's just an easy, you know, an easy opportunity for, for someone who can recognize that with the guillotine, a, a Darce choke, or I can't remember what the other one was. Well, Desente Luque ju- did just that. And if you look at the replay, it's almost like, like, you know, what was Kiesa thinking? Like he just literally just, Gently moved his head right into into Luque's arms and boom, locked it in. So it was impressive for Luque, big big win. Uh, Kiesa probably is just you know smashing his head against the table because he almost had it. He nearly had it. Oh yeah, and mind you, like he had a couple of submission attempts there. I didn't even bring that mm-hmm. up. I mean, that was he had him where he wanted him. I don't yeah. know how else to say it. And he acknowledged it. He said, "Man, it just." It, it got to him, and I and I do agree with that. I feel like he's had a couple of these big fights, and you know uh, he just kind of underperforms a little bit. Cause we, I mean, you remember the fight with Neil Magny? I mean, we know how good he could be. So I don't know. I I do think I believe him when he says that. You know, maybe he his focus wasn't. You know, his jitters kind of kept him from being as focused as he usually can be. But yeah, I was just look. You fight who's in there with you, and Vicente Luque got the job done. Um, talking about that welterweight division, obviously Leon Edwards would love nothing more than to get right into a title fight. I get the feeling that Vicente Luque and Leon Edwards is the fight right now. And I'll say that because I... I think if there's one knock on Leon Edwards, he is so technically sound and so consistent and he doesn't get the love for it because he's not a talker um, and he hasn't had enough of those high-profile wins. But I do feel like Leon, um, the fact that a lot of his stuff goes the distance, 
And I know that, you know, like he's in that kind of weird limbo. And even Dana's saying, I do think he's got to fight. I feel like the UFC sees it as, you know, we're going to pair you up with Vicente Luque, who is now a known finisher. And, you know, this is kind of it, the fight, you know. And I I did think of the Jorge Masvidal fight, and that would be bananas too. I would love it, but I almost feel like that's... I almost feel like Masvidal would prefer Leon himself, and he, you know he's going to get to call the shot. Like, Masvidal would pick Leon Edwards or maybe Gilbert Burns to get him back up the title picture, you know what I mean? I think he sees, like, look, the fact is they're all dangerous, but I'd rather fight Leon or Gilbert rather than Vicente if I have my pick. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I agree with that. And, and, and you know, if I'm Masvidal, like, of course, he's not going to want a, a generous matchup. But in some ways, I think Luke is tougher than Leon Edwards. Um, just, I think Luke is just more aggressive and, and would be maybe less willing to bide his time like Leon Edwards would. Um, so, yeah, I, I do like the Leon Edwards. Well, I like Leon Edwards for Luke. First, first and foremost, I think that's the right matchup for him. Uh, I, I, because on the flip side, I think uh, Masvidal needs. Um, he's not going to take it, but someone like Neil, Neil Magny or Bilal Muhammad, like he needs a win here. We need to keep the brand rolling, and you, you only keep the brand rolling with the with the win, a convincing win, some kind of show stopping highlight reel or something. That's not going to happen with Vicente Luque. We need a confidence booster for Mr. Mazadel. So I like Luque with Edwards. And, uh, you know, whenever Stephen Thompson's ready again, maybe that's that's the good one for Mazadel. I know he, he was interested in that at some point after his Ben Askren win. So that could still be a good one for him. Um, NMF yeah. versus BMF. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. Uh, it's always there. It's always good. Hey, Nate Diaz, BMF part two. Ooh, I mean, hey, the winner of Nick and Robbie. I mean, they're out there from hospital. But yeah, yeah, my point being, I know Vicente Luque would love to get hands on him. I just feel like they're going to go in a different direction, which sometimes happens, right? So, yeah. But yeah, he gets a big fight. I don't see him fighting anyone less than, um, you know, Leon or the loser of Kamaru and Colby to move himself up. You know what I mean? That, that for sure. Yeah. Um, I can't wait to see him back out there. Good card, like I said, solid night of fights. I, I get it. Like, we had July was so busy, and then it lost uh, Amanda and Juliana Pena, which I was, you know, I saw the tweets. It's like the only news that happened. Amanda's <laughs> yeah. like, oh, I'm already back in the gym. Don't worry. And I'm like, I mean, that's a little, I'll be yeah, honest, even I felt a little lackluster. It's like, Amanda, we could have been through this already, but. <laughs> Cause you know I thought not, you had COVID. <laughs> like, you know they're not going to add her to September, which means now it kind of gets dragged on a little longer. And I know we discussed it recently that it's like somehow that worked out for the Bantamweight division, but still. Anyway, it, it was... Go ahead. Oh, all I'm going to say is you do, a, you do an interim belt for your heavyweight division when there was going to be like a, what, a two-month delay to your plans, but you won't do one in the Bantamweight division? Like... Come on, man. We need an interim belt. No, they didn't. Hey, we brought this up. Did we have to discuss the Bantamweight division once last year? No. I don't <laughs> nope. even remember any of the bigger websites talking about it. You know why? Because they knew what they were saying. It's like, oh, well, I really think Holly Holm deserves a... You know, Jermaine Durandamy is on a... You knew what was going on at Bantamweight, you know. Juliana Pena wasn't even on a win streak. So well, one fight is uh, well. What heck of a what a win streak! <laughs> uh, my, my point is that the interim, uh, I appreciate her moxie to try to make something happen, but I, you just people have Wikipedia and tapology when you're yeah. talking about yeah. taking. You know, when you take when you're aiming at the queen, you know, you better not miss. Well, hold on. I don't think that Pena deserves to fight for the inter- interim title. I don't even think she deserves this title shot. But the division itself needs an interim, an interim title fight. Well, the, I mean, we kind of touched on that with Holly and 
Dumont, yeah, yeah, but, of course. Yeah. I know. And that's the thing. I know. It's like, oh, back to those people. Didn't they already fight for a belt and lose? So now you give them a chance to fight for a belt that they're just going to lose again? It goes on okay. and on, man. <laughs> Here, we've got some fight announcements. Let's get into them before we okay. get it. Um, you know, great night at 263. Uh, by the way, Houston, second pay-per-view in about two months, three months. That's pretty cool. Um, the big one, uh, to, or I guess depending on how you see it, the first one though, Fedor Milianenko has a dance partner for the fight in Moscow. He's going to be taking on Tim Johnson, who we just saw lose to Moldovsky for the interim heavyweight title over there in Bellator. Um, you know what? When it was all said and done, I kind of felt like that was the right call for everybody. And I felt like Fedor might have even pushed for it because I think that when you started talking about Josh Barnett and Overeem and Junior Dos Santos and Verdum, it was like, I feel like they didn't want to keep building. They didn't want to pay for a contract that would be temporary. Because I don't know if they felt like they were ready to commit to any of those veterans for a big contract. Mm-hmm. Pair up Fedor with Tim. You're already got his, he's already on your books, so it's already in-house money. Um... And then for Fedor, I think that I know you should. I know it doesn't work this way, but because Tim Johnson's a smaller name, you almost feel like it's less devastating. You almost don't want him to get beat potentially by a bigger name guy at home. Does that make sense? No, absolutely. Like Fedor in Russia, period. You want him to be the star. Story, yeah, of course. And you want him to win. And the chances now, full disclosure, I'm not super familiar with Mr. Tim Johnson, but. I think the odds would have been lower um, for Fedor to win against a big name who would have wanted to be the big name to beat Fedor in Russia. Now, of course, Tim Johnson's going to want to win, but I think Fedor, his chances look good. And that's that's great for him. That's great for Bellator, you know, smart matchmaking. Bellator's really good at, at like, very strategic matchmaking. They're better at it, I think, than the UFC. I agree with you in a lot of different cases. I think their development program has worked. And I think that, you know what, because you know you don't have all the eyes like the UFC does, I think that when you do a slow burn, it's less noticeable and it works. Case in point, like Alima, Juliana Velasquez, now Liz Carmouche to Juliana, I think it works. Going head-to-head with Fedor versus Tim that night, Paulo Costa going to be coming back. He's taking on Marvin Vittori. I'm just going to say, I didn't think there'd be a guy besides Joe Romero who I think might have more muscles at 185 than Paolo. And I just like this matchup because I think Marvin just might. And um, stylistically, they both know what to do. Get in the face, let the hands go, rip with that physicality. I I just like it stylistically. I think that considering Paolo's layoff and the way that Marvin just lost Adesanya... I think that this is a great fight for both of them to stay in the mix with those top three, top four at 185. What about you? Yes, it's a strong matchup. Vittori, I'm you know, already leaning towards him in this, even though it's in October. Paulo Costa, the wine thing, man. I still can't shake that. The, like I drank a bottle of wine the night before because I couldn't sleep. So, you know, there's something there's something funny there that, that I think maybe his that was the peak is, is that title shot. And I don't think he'll get back to it for all his merits. Um, so yeah, just, I don't know, man, it's just a gut feeling. Paulo Costa, I think, I think he's, he reached the peak. I think we're on the downward swing at, at this point. Did you see his fight announcement photo where he took a picture of him signing the contract? I did not. He had like a bottle of alcohol and he's signing it, but people zoom in and he's signing the contract with a chopstick. Just to mess with everybody. (laughs) Um, You know what? I'll say this. Um, Costa got a good coach. Uh, They come from talented stable. If he's been making some work out of these last few months, I mean, he's going to need a bit of a Brian Ortega type transformation stylistically, I think, to put it together consistently. I do believe that he's at the right age to be able to do it. I think that, yeah, the Paulo Costa we saw against Adesanya struggles with the Whitakers of the world, Adesanya, obviously, and those guys at the top. But when I look at 185 for Marvin and you look at Darren Till, for example, up there, Jared Cannonier, 
I do think Paolo could still be in the mix. I think that he just has to put it together a little bit more. Uh, moving forward, um, we can discuss this one. Islam Mahachev versus RDA Rafael Dos Anjos at 267 on October 30th. Uh, no real surprise there. We knew they were working toward it. What I will say is that I like the way this card's been built. I think that... Um, Look, I, I get it because everyone's going to be talking about the return to Madison Square Garden potentially a week later, but you got two title fights, you got the return of Hamsat, and then you got uh, Islam on the card. I think that that is just a good card for that part of the world. I know that they're just trying to... It's no coincidence that Islam and Hamsat are on the same card, and I think that that's just a sign, and I'm excited to see them both fight, and I really like just this fight for Islam and RDA, I think that Islam wins it. You are now talking about, you know, probably the loser of Oliveira and Poirier in the lightweight division. So, And then for RDA, look, he's kind of like that ever-ready battery. He'll, you know, I saw Cars 3 and it always stuck out <laughs> to me. I'm done when I say I'm done. RDA will be done when he says he's done. And, you know, he's had such a ridiculous schedule. It's like, you just give, keep giving him those guys and he'll keep fighting them and they'll be good <laughs> i didn't even know they made a cars three that's amazing wow you know what the that's pandemic <laughs> man you just it's like what's on i mean another re rerun of friends it's like oh what did they do with cars three the one where they watched cars three yes for real right <laughs> but yeah <laughs> Uh, well, I, I, I'm not going to add to that. That's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's well said. <laughs> All right. It's a good card. I like it for 267. Um, the big one, Luke Rockhold taking on Sean Strickland on that potential Madison Square Garden card on November 6th, UFC 268. Um, I think the big thing about this is Strickland, you know, less than a week after getting the fight, getting the win over Uriah, going back out there. I, I think that's just gangster. And then for Luke Rockhold, I'm like, this is probably the best style matchup you're going to get. You're getting a guy who is consistent, is tough, but let's be honest, probably isn't, you know, the big name middleweight that you thought you were going to get. So in terms of all the players concerned, I think that was about as good as you're going to get it for both guys, for Luke and for Sean. What about you? Yeah, it gets Luke finally back in the octagon. I think I read an interview where he, he said that they'd offered Sean earlier, but he didn't know who he was. And, you know, all these other names came and went. And then he finally ended up back at Sean Strickland and said, OK, fine, let's go. So, you know, Luke Rockle's finally back. I hope his chin has recovered because that's been the downfall of him in the last, uh, I don't know, two years. Sean Strickland. Yeah, the fight against Jarrah Hall was it was super consistent, you know, great, great offense, great defense, hands combinations head movement like really solid basic fundamentals so this this uh this will be a good matchup for luke rockhold but i go back to i hope his chin holds up i think that's going to be the you know the thing that that could be the undoing so luke rockhold i would like to see him come in respecting his opponent taking this fight seriously that's something that we see he doesn't do we saw with this being we've seen it with other fighters He's got to really take this seriously. Like, this is kind of a make or break for him. He's, he's, I don't know, how old is he now? 35? I don't know. But, like, there's not going to be that many opportunities at this point. And if he wants to get the bigger money fights, he has to make a good showing here. It has to be an emphatic, like, knockout win. So, no pressure, Luke Rockhold. That's all I got to say. I mean, look, he's working at Ruka now. Um, yeah. Remember yeah. before he was drifting around a bit of Florida, a bit of, um, you know, obviously really kicked AKA. off at AKA in San Jose with Cormier and Kane. You know, um, I think that's the biggest thing is that if Rocco finds himself on the bad side of it, I, I really don't know where he goes. I think that um, I think that the time for asking for those big fights is just going to be over for him. And what I will acknowledge is he's a guy who has found a lot of success outside the octagon. He doesn't really publicize it, and a lot of people don't really follow it. Um, but, you know, look, not everybody gets to model for Polo and Ralph Lauren. I go by, like, the shopping mall. I've seen him on the big advertisement. Like, I know he's getting paid. 
So Is he still doing that? I wasn't sure if he was still doing that. I don't think he's done one in a while, but the fact is he has it on his resume. Oh, which, of course, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, it's kind of like dating people. As soon as you get one, you kind of seem to get offers out of the rest of the woodwork since they know you're vetted with someone else. It's a weird thing, but I know he does that and he's gotten more. I think he said that one of the things that happened before the Romero fight is that they had to shoot a commercial that was a big deal right before and, you know, or one of those fights. But the fact is he's very, he's done well for himself outside the cage that, if he were to lose to Strickland, I could see him just saying, look, I could go make money doing something else. It's just, you know, my time. And then for Strickland, obviously, like, you know, you really expedite your ascent. You know, you beat Rockhold, you're probably looking at, you know, like I said, whoever doesn't fight for the title next out of Cannoneer, Gastelum, Till, Brunson, and you're getting a big fight to move yourself into that conversation. Um, then the final one, uh, Cody Garbrandt's, oh, sorry, I missed one, Flyweight, November 11th, Jojo Calderwood against Alexa Grasso. I mentioned this one because now that we know that Tatiana Suarez is out of her fight in September, very unfortunate, get well soon, Tatiana. But after Lauren Murphy, I feel like by process of elimination, Alexa has now kind of become the next woman up for Valentina. And if she gets past Jojo, who was just in a title eliminator... I almost feel like that's enough. I mean, she's coming off a win over Macy Barber. You beat a veteran like JoJo. It's like we could kind of keep the wheels spinning, but I think if Valentina just says, give me somebody, they would give her Alexa. What about you? Yeah, that that's I hadn't thought of that, but you you lay it out. It makes perfect sense. Also, uh, JoJo, good... you know. Well, if she wins, yeah. yeah. Look, because that's just the division, right? It's just feed feed the... <laughs> the conveyor belt that, that, that ends at Valentina Shevchenko's feet. And, uh, and so whoever's next, whoever's best, either or, um, in line. And so I think Alexa Grasso has the advantage here. That's what I put my money on. I think it's a better matchup for her because if she gets the win, then yes, it puts her right there next in line. Um, yeah, of course, JoJo wins too. I just, JoJo to me is so frustratingly inconsistent. Sometimes she delivers, she's killer instinct. A lot of times she just sort of, you know, um, ah, disappoints, just kind of um, wilts is the word I was looking for. So, um, yeah, this favors Alexa Grasso, which I'm, you know, I'd be happy to see a Valentina Shevchenko, Alexa Grasso title fight. Um, Shevchenko still, <laughs> still the Nunes of flyweight uh, division, but. It might be a more competitive fight than Nunes than Shevchenko's had in a long time. No, nothing more to add. Like I said, um, that one's happening in uh, where did I write that? November, correct? November yes, 11th. November eleventh. And then finally, uh, making his flyweight debut, Cody Garbrandt against Kai Car France on December eleventh. I think people are speculating that might be a pay per view, but that's not confirmed yet. Um, you know what? Uh, I just like that Cody's staying active. I like that he's coming back. And I think that um, I think that's a good fight for him. I feel like Kai Car France is right there in the middle, not at the bottom of the division, but he's proven a perennial top 10 guy that I think a big win there for Cody. You know, maybe we're talking about it. We still don't know what's going on with Brandon Moreno. It sounds like even he doesn't know, but I do think that if Moreno fights somebody else, Cody gets the win in December, he gets the next shot at uh, the flyweight belt. This is great matchmaking for Cody Garbrandt. Like, he's a huge star. And this is going to be a challenge, but not a huge challenge, which makes sense when someone's dropping down a weight class. You want to give them a chance to figure it all out. And I think Kai Kark of France is the right opponent for Cody Garbrandt to figure it all out. You see if he has any knockout power or how his body feels. Just in general, though, I don't like the the like I didn't like it when Dillashaw did it, and we know what what he had to do to make the weight, um, and so not at all saying that Cody Garbrandt will have to do the same thing. Of course not, but it's just going to be so tough. It's such a challenge. Like Cody Garbrandt's already a bigger dude at 135, so you know I guess he's just doing it because he's run out of a little bit of luck at 135. But it makes me a little nervous. All that being said, yeah, it's a great matchup. 
I'm going to trust him to be like Jose Aldo. Prove me wrong, but going in, I'm with you there. I really don't like it. I think that, uh, you know, he's already a pretty lean guy at, um, at 135. So, yeah, I do have that same concern. But once again, I've been wrong about Jose, too. Um, real quick, uh, this one kind of, uh, not unexpected, but Nico Montano released from the UFC. Uh, not to rehash everything because I brought it up last time, but I always felt like the thing about her career, she kind of was hitting a bit of a roadblock at the time when the UFC was so ready to move on with the division, similar to what we saw at heavyweight. I mean, they're ready to get the wheels going and she just, I think, needed more time. I think she had an infection following that and really her reputation and just her health really never did her any favors. It took her a long time to get back into the cage and, you know, it looked like, quote unquote, she's scared to fight Valentina, which I will say for the record, it would have been Rocky versus Apollo upset for Nico to beat Valentina, especially what we know now. But I think that Nico, once again, it was just her health just never seemed to agree with her. Just, you know, she came back at 135 and then she was out a while and, you know, everything that she just has had going on. I think it's unfortunate because I do remember that run. I mean, she beat a lot of veterans to make it to the finals and win the belt. But, yeah, she goes down having one of the oddest UFC careers. I think she won the belt in 2017. She only had one official UFC fight that was not tough related. Yeah, it's... It's a, a bummer, you know, because I, I liked her on tough and it was exciting for her to be the champ when she, you know, was able to win the belt, be the champion, and then just pitfall after pitfall. Never could get the engine going. And, you know, it it's we'll never know what was going on in her life apart from the things that are public, right? But like it just seemed like I often ask myself, Do you really want this? Like, do you still want this? Or is it really that there's just so many like wild things popping up that are getting in the way? Uh, so it's a little bit frustrating. And now what's the future? Like she doesn't have much of a highlight reel to fall back on, you know, try and get signed somewhere else that she really want to do. MMA, how's she going to, like if she does, how's she going to rebuild her MMA career? And if she doesn't, okay, well then, you know, you know, the world is her oyster. She can, she can, decide what what's next for her but yeah it's disappointing it's disappointing that it just that it didn't work out but of course not surprised that they released her like there's just you know what more does that you expect them to do like that they can only help so much it didn't seem like she was doing her part whether that's true or not it just didn't seem like it in the public eye i think on dana's comments he kind of knew what was going to happen and then you know seven pounds uh, it's just one of those things at a certain point, it's like there's nothing more they can give on their end of it. You know, like she's at the PI and they've given her all the resources. It's just, you know, I, I, I do think she wanted to fight. Her body just didn't seem to agree with her, like just her health. It was always something. And that's unfortunate because, like I said, you know, you make history and you never really can do anything from there. But. She goes down. She will always be the first women's UFC flyweight champion. She's the George Washington of the division. <laughs> you know, best wishes going forward, for sure. They should put her face on the on the 125 belt. <laughs> if they were doing like boxing, yeah. they just have the <laughs> little right. the little tokens little on the side. Inside. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Chad Mendes to bare knuckle. Good luck. I mean, yeah. He looks great. Like, you know, you see on Instagram, he's, you know, he's doing some videos and whatnot and his psoriasis, like he went on an all meat diet and uh, has cleared up his psoriasis. So I'm sure he feels great. That was the reason he said he popped, you know, whenever he did all those years ago, because it was a psoriasis medicine, medication topical. Um, that's what he said, right? Okay, fine. So BKFC, man, like, I don't know what their pay-per-view numbers are, but they're shelling out money for names. Chad Mendes is a good name, and I'm curious to see how he performs. I'm excited, you know? Like, 
he could have gone. I bet he could have gone signed at Bellator or you know um, maybe PFL. I don't know. Um, I think he had options, but I think what happens is that if you don't get a good enough offer from like a Bellator or one or PFL, and there's like lesser MMA promotions that want you, and then you look over here and BKFC's like, oh hey, we got all this money for you. It's like yeah, why not, right? So that's that's probably how it went down. I like it. I'm not mad at it. I think it's a, he gets a good advantage of favorable matchmaking. I think that, look, with all the layoffs and all this stuff, I don't know how much confidence I would have had in him making a splash at featherweight in either division right now, like UFC or Bellator. Yeah. So I, I think that when you look at his age and athleticism, though, I think that bare knuckles great. I've also, someone brought it up, Drake Riggs, and I do agree with it. You notice bare, for being bare-knuckle boxing, they're not really picking up a lot of former boxers. They've really, their big signings have all come from the MMA talent pool, which I know yeah. wasn't always the way in the beginning, but I do think that they've kind of said that they want the MMA market more so than maybe the boxing market. And I do think that's very telling. So I, I It makes sense, that, you know, yeah. like, you know, it's not fringe anymore, obviously, right? But that still has that sort of feeling, a little more like a circus, wild west, and so BKFC is is jumping on the coattails of that. Whereas boxing is the long established, you know, like stately entity over there that that kind of looks down at both sports, but is having to force itself to embrace MMA because that's where the numbers are. I mean, like, see Max Kellerman doing commentary for for ufc it's like what okay oh yeah i know you didn't like mma three years ago give me a break but all right fine i mean i got some thoughts on max i think that they you know they're trying to they feel like they want their a team and they just mm-hmm. don't see the you the espn mma team being enough to anchor their broadcast on primetime espn but you know that's just all I'll say about the ESPN Dude, thing. Dude, can we get Karen Bryant inside? Like, what, you know, I would love to see her, like, respected, put at the table again, man. They put her with Max. I know they this. did, but she was outside and it was really hot. <laughs> at the last paper at the I mean, I know, right? but Max was in a suit, too. <laughs> you know, he was wearing his Ray-Ban. Yeah, but, uh, I mean... Look, man. Uh, I love Karen Bryant. I know, I I know they were... I just... She was at the only desk they had, is my final point on that. <laughs> but, um, you know, like, she, she's never been a roving reporter person, so, yeah. All right, I'm with you there, but, um, anyway, we got two cards. Uh, let's start uh, Bellator. Uh, John Salter, not undefeated, but has had a great run. He's only lost once since he's been in Bellator. Only four losses overall, and two of them were about 10 years ago when he was in the UFC. So he's uh, he's had a couple absences where, you know, a couple years he only fought once, one or two years he didn't fight at all. So even though he's been fighting a while, he doesn't necessarily have a ridiculous amount of mileage on his body. That being said, he's going up against, obviously, a very just veteran of veterans right now in Gegard Mousasi. Guys fought everywhere, fought almost everybody. And, you know, truth be told, I don't think that the wheels are starting to come off yet for Gegard. I do think that he is still proving himself week in, you know, month in, year in, year out. He is still a consistent top-ranked middleweight in the world. So I do like this fight. I think that um, for Gegard, it's kind of like getting back for the time that you had that hiccup against Lovato Jr. And look, that was a good fight. It was close. But I think for Gegard, this is another opportunity to say, hey, you know, like, I can still take on these young up-and-comers. I'm not just beating other veterans like Douglas Lima and the others. Yeah, it's a, it's a, fine, it's a fine matchup. I'm just happy to see, you know, Gegard doing his thing as a champion. So I think, I'm not saying it's going to be an easy win, but I think, you know, the writing's on the wall a little bit here uh, for and still uh, Gegard. I think he's got to, and look, this is easier said than done, but um, physicality, you got to get out there and you got to get after Gegard. I think that um, Lovato Jr. did show that 
if you got that solid top game, you can cause Gegard problems because he's very good, but you know, his game off of his back is just not up it's not at that ridiculous level like say a Damian Maya or some of the other guys we see. I, I think that's his one quote unquote weakness. Because he's not really bad at it, but I will say that's one of those parts of his game where he's not lights out. I think that's the only thing, yeah. you know, is that he doesn't have a fantastic back game off his back. And he doesn't have that quick, explosive knockout power. Everything else, technique, timing, stamina, all those, Gegard has all of those other things. Multifaceted, he could get you down. He's got all those other weapons. I think this explosiveness and the uh the guard game are the only two things he doesn't have that are like level nine or ten as a fighter but so yeah john salter gets mm -hmm. after it yeah. um i am going giga musasi though i think that um i think that the year off somehow is going to do him well because it gives his body more time to recuperate from all of that other stuff Yeah, I'm with you. I think Gegard unanimous decision. Nothing, uh, nothing too exciting for this uh, for this matchup, but I think he'll get the win the old-fashioned way. I'm gonna go third round sub for your naked choke. Why not? Oh, hey! I'm feeling myself. I'd love bit. to see that. There we go. <laughs> okay. Um, the big one. Uh, truth be told, this is one of the biggest fights on the PFL calendar. When you talked about last year. Ray Cooper against Rory McDonald. By the way, I believe the same night as Musasi and Salter. So fans are going to be, you know, fighting for their attention with the MMA networks. But you have the 2019 champion taking on, you know, Rory, UFC a long time, former Bellator champion, coming off the controversial loss to Gleason Tebow. What I will say, what I like about this fight is I'm aware how important it is for Rory I think Rory wins this it goes a long way in kind of establishing him as like a kind of like a forever talent like I know he didn't get the gold in UFC and obviously the loss to Douglas Lima was one-sided but I think that if he were to prove himself in PFL 2 he kind of proves just how good he always was right and he starts to reach that level of like hey you know it's just He's always going to be good until Father Time catches up to him. You know what I mean? Then in terms yeah. of um, Ray Cooper, this is his chance to break out, right? You get a win over a guy like Rory. You potentially go on, you know, you have a big fight in the final with potentially the last guy who beat him in the 2018 championship. All that kind of, you know, brings Ray Cooper out of, oh, well, he's good in PFL. No, he's pretty good everywhere. You know, he just is missing fighting those signature opponents. And I think that Rory could be his way to get up there. Uh, stylistically, um, Rory, you can't be patient. You kind of got to force the issue, work behind the jab, get him down. Because that's the one thing is that you do not want to be waiting for Ray Cooper to do his thing. He's fast, he's strong, he's explosive. Rory is too good on the ground. And I think that physically he's got the height and reach. So you just want to do everything to neutralize all that power from Ray Cooper early. Take him down, do it. If Ray Cooper keeps the fight at mid-range and keeps just keeps Rory's back to the fence, we might have a long night for the Red King. What about you? I think it will be a long night for, for Mr. Rory, but I still think he'll come out victorious if he just uses that veteran savvy. Like he's got to stay into like stay in his mind, be the, the smarter fighter for, for, for five rounds. They're doing five rounds, right? Sorry. Yep. I had to check myself here um, for five rounds. Like he cannot let his guard down for a second because Ray Cooper has that like savage mentality. Like just, I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. And as soon as I see an opportunity, I'm going in for the kill. Rory has to keep that at bay for five rounds if you know unless he finds a way to submit him somewhere in the middle there but I don't you know it's possible because Ray Cooper is a little bit of a of a uh, hothead in the cage uh, he can be not always and so I think I see I could see an opportunity there where you would charge forward with his head and Rory would take advantage sort of like 
uh, Luke Chiesa, even though Chiesa wasn't charging, he just kind of like slowly rolled his head into the position. So I could see that happening. Um, either way, if it goes decision, Rory, uh, or I'm sorry, either, either way Rory wins, I think it'll either be decision or submission. Um, but I'll go ahead and just pick because I think Rory can submit Ray Cooper in round four. I'm going to say like a, maybe a guillotine, something something like that. Uh, round four, Rory McDonald. Round four, Rory. Oh, boy. You know what? This one I'm going to go unanimous decision. I think um, I think it's going to go the distance. I think that Rory's going to get pushed a bit. But ultimately, I think that his style just matches up well with Ray. So I'm going to go Rory McDonald keeps it at mid-range, gets a few takedowns. Um, just stays ahead of him for the win. All right. All right, so there we go. That's another doubleheader on Friday. It's going to be a nice Saturday off, so MMA fans have that official Saturday-Sunday to break. And then next week, high stakes in the middleweight division, Jared Cannonier in the UFC takes on former title challenger Kelvin Gastelum. I'm just very happy to see Jared Cannonier back, and I think that, Kelvin Gastelum, he's kind of also in that, uh, who did I just say, like Rafael Dos Anjos area that's like, you know what, just keep letting them fight these guys because it's a good show each time. Um, I just like the matchup stylistically. I think they match up well. What about you? It is a fine matchup. It's, um, you know, pressure for both of them, but I think more for Gastelum because he is still the bigger name. And it wasn't that long ago that he was fighting for the title. And, you know, just hasn't been able to, to be consistent after that loss. So there's a lot of pressure on him still on his shoulders. And so we'll see. Like, this could be the, the downslide or it could be a little bit of an uptick. I don't think he'll ever get back to the title shot, to, you know, title shot contention. But he can still kind of, like, float around in, in a little bit higher ranking position if he wins Can- if he beats Cannonier. Yeah, I think that it's going to be um, obviously high stakes for Kelvin if he does want to kind of stop that skid. But I know that Jared, he's also looking at that September fight for Darren Till against Brunson. We know that Adesanya wants Till. I do think that, um, and mind you, also Robert Whitaker's also beating them. But I do think that he sees an opportunity. He could sneak his way if Adesanya wins the title. Now, obviously, a lot of dominoes have to fall because Whitaker's also beaten the three of them, Till, Gastelum, Cannoneer, and uh, Till. But you just want to win these fights because if there's an opportunity to sneak up to the belt, you know Cannoneer's looking at it if Darren Till has a stumble and Adesanya beats Whitaker. So a lot of MMA math, but the fact is you go out there, you got to do everything you can to win the fight. And I do think there are higher stakes than maybe people are letting on going into it a week, you know, two weeks from now. So that'll be fun stuff. Natalie, this is a long episode. So if you guys have hung on for the ride, thank you so much for tuning in. We'll be back next week. Until then, take care. Enjoy the fights.